A few days after the election, I woke at 4 a.m. in panic. My thoughts racing, I could not fall back to sleep. I could not stop thinking about the fear, the hatred, the violence in our country. The stories of hate crimes filling my social media feed, my undocumented friends' constant fear of deportation, my Muslim friend, heartbroken and in tears, that her boyfriend's Christian family did not want her to come to Thanksgiving dinner. I felt like I had woken up in a country I didn't recognize. Of course, many people were less surprised than I was. Some friends, particularly friends of color and immigrants, recognize this country for what it has always been, a far from perfect union steeped in a history of violence and oppression. I get that. I also understand that my white skin and my affluent upbringing protect me from much of the hatred and the fear and the violence that already exists in this country. As I lay awake that night, I realized that I was waking up to what many people have been waking up to for generations. I take pride in living in a country where we can critique and protest and push and struggle and organize and make our union ever more perfect. But that night, I felt panic. Panic that I don't know what to do right now. What am I called to do in this uncertain political moment? Do I have the courage to lead a life of radical, resilient love, the kind of life I believe is demanded of me? What does living a life of Christ call me to do? It is indeed a moment to wake from sleep. Some of you may know that I am a fairly new Christian. Yes, I grew up in the United Church of Christ, but I was also a ski racer, which often had priority in my family over church. I spent my 20s an infrequent churchgoer at best, and I have only recently started to self-identify self with some trepidation, given the secular circles that I run in, as Christian. Growing up in the United Church of Christ as a ski racer also didn't necessarily give me the best biblical training. And I've often struggled particularly with the writings of Paul. I find his letter to the Romans, from which our reading this morning comes, at times confusing, at times confounding, at times vexing, at times downright offensive. Paul's writings have been used throughout histories in some pretty dangerous ways, read to justify anti-Semitism, read to justify totalitarian governments, read to justify the subjugation of women. And yet, I also find the act of wrestling with these letters to be a powerful exercise, imagining how his responses to the very real-world challenges he faced to still have meaning to the real-world challenges we face today. I love imagining Paul engaging with those early communities of Christ followers, struggling together to work through questions of identity, questions of community, working to understanding exactly what a community of Christ looks like. People have argued the extent to which Paul's letter signals a political resistance to the Roman Empire in which he, to which he was writing. Some see in Paul a government subordinate. Some see a revolutionary. 
Perhaps how you read Paul depends on the times in which you are writing, or in which you are reading him, and what you are looking for in the text. I believe that because we always live in political times, reading scripture can never be an apolitical act. And I believe that reading a letter written to a community in the heart of an empire, one cannot separate the personal from the political, individual salvation from the body politics of which we are a part. In the passage that we read today, Paul says the, the only rule worth following, the only rule, is summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. And then this, now is the moment to wake from sleep. Put on an armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet in the paragraph just before this, he begins with an unequivocal call to be subject to government authorities. What do we do with this scripture at this political moment at the beginning of Advent? I invite you to imagine with me those early followers of Christ in the city of Rome in ancient times to help us find an answer. Imagine listening to this letter in the heart of the Roman Empire. It would have been read aloud in community, kind of like how we are here today. Archaeological and literary evidence suggests that these were violent times. Mass graves have been found indicating state-sanctioned violence. We learn from early writers like Josephus about the bloody, bloody wars between the Romans and the Jews. After emperors Julius Caesar and Augustus, the region was in political chaos. Subsequent rulers were battling over power. Survival for some of those early Christ followers would have been a daily struggle. Perhaps it felt like some of the images that we see in Syria today. Imagine hearing then, in the midst of confusion and violence and war, that now is the moment to wake from sleep, that now is time to truly live into the teaching of love your neighbor as yourself, to find new life in Christ. What Paul was calling the Romans to do, to love your neighbor as yourself, would have indeed felt like it required a massive awakening. In that time, loving your neighbor as yourself, as now, would have been a call to action, a challenge to the status quo. I imagine thinking, just as I thought at 4 a.m. a few weeks ago, how on earth am I going to love my neighbor as myself in these of all times? Do I have the courage to lead a life of radical, resilient love? the kind of life that Paul is demanding of me. What does living a life of Christ call me to do? At that time, the images of emperors Augustus and Julius Caesar were enshrined in the armor of gods in statues, and they were deified in coins. Their images, literally clothed in gods, clothed as gods, would have been a common sight throughout the Roman cityscape or in your pocket in your coins. Imagine then hearing the call to put on an armor of light, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it have meant that while emperors could wear the armor of gods, that all followers of Christ could put on Jesus Christ? 
that anyone, even women or slaves or Jews or Gentiles, could put on like clothing an armor of light, an armor of the love of Jesus Christ. Perhaps one can imagine that putting on Jesus became a political act, one that declared loyalty to the spiritual realm of Jesus Christ before the earthly realm of empire. That you, even if you were called to be subject to government authorities, you could still embody the love of neighbor as yourself in your relationships, in your community, in your church, as an act of political resistance. Perhaps putting on Jesus gave courage where there was fear, resilience where there was wavering, love where there was hate. It is indeed the moment to wake from sleep. While some have read this passage as a call into the personal, individual salvation that Jesus offers, I read it as a call to lean into the power of relationship, into the power of love found in relationship, the love of neighbor as oneself, a love that trumps the power of empire. This kind of love is hard. It is the kind of love that pushes us to see ourselves in one another, even if we don't look alike. It is the kind of love that pushes us to see the divine in one another, even if we've been taught to fear other people or scorn other people or hate other people to see the divine in the people that may have voted differently than we did in this past election. To love your neighbor as yourself requires a dramatic change of thinking, a tearing down of walls between what constitutes the self and what constitutes the other. A fundamental reimagining of where I end and of where you begin. As one scholar puts it, this, patch, this passage tells us that radical hospitality, welcome without conditions, is the law of the new life in the Messiah. Welcome without conditions. This is particularly hard when we don't really like our neighbors, or agree with our neighbors, or when we are afraid that when we let our neighbor into our communities, those communities will change. When we are afraid that if we let others into ourselves, that we will change. While this kind of love is hard, it is powerful and it is good news. We must live into this kind of love to build our communities and our societies and our politics according to this new law, to lean into one another, to organize with one another, to find friendship and strength and power and solidarity with one another to build our communities and our societies and our politics where we are no longer haunted by stories of hate crimes, by the fears of our undocumented friends or the tears of our Muslim friends. The law of this new life in the Messiah is a kind of love that is so demanding that it wakes us up, fearful of if we have the courage to live up to it. So where on earth do we begin? I still can't tell you exactly what living a life of Christ calls for me at this moment, and I certainly can't tell you what it means for all of you. For me, I think it begins with leaning into my relationships, with listening with love to my friends and my family as they all try to figure out what they are called to do in their lives in these times. I think it begins with thinking through my vocation of ministry 
and how I can work to bridge some of the divides in this country, divides of race and class and religion. It begins with organizing with my fellow students to call for our school to become a sanctuary for undocumented immigrants. It begins with continuing to work on racial justice and healing on my campus. It begins with leaning into the church community here at United Parish, knowing that the work of love and justice that we do here really, really matters. It begins by waking up every day, and as I get ready to go to church or school or work, to put on the love of Jesus Christ. I will admit that I still struggle sometimes with where exactly Jesus fits into my theology. And this armor metaphor sometimes makes me slightly nervous, given our penchant for war. Yet, what I love about this image of an armor of light, of putting on Jesus Christ, is that it reminds me that radical, resilient love sometimes requires a little bit of fight, a little bit of courage. Imagining putting on the love that Jesus embodied as armor, an armor of light, gives me that courage. It makes me literally stand up taller, more confident that I can face with love whatever comes my way. We can all put on an armor of light, as those early Christ followers were called to do, to fortify us and strengthen us to do the hard work that living a life of Christ demands of us. And at the moments where we feel weak or afraid or discouraged or alone, we remember that we have the light of Jesus wrapped around us. So, as we prepare for the coming of Christ in this season of Advent, my call to you is this. Imagine what your life would be like if you were to truly love your neighbor as yourself, even those who you may find it particularly hard to love. Imagine this, kind of, this love as a kind of political resistance at the moment that we currently find ourselves in. What would it mean for your relationships, your vocation, your communities, your church life? Awaken to the possibilities and the demands of living out that love. Then, don an armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ in preparation for what is to come. It is indeed the moment to wake from sleep. Amen.